0: All right, glad to see everybody. If you have a Bible, I want to welcome you and ask that you would turn to Ephesians chapter three. I do want to mention, if you're visiting with us, we have Bibles that we want to give you. I was just talking to a man yesterday. Um, My wife and I went to Rice's, and he was telling me how he grew up Lutheran and he had kind of drifted from the church. And there are thousands, probably millions, of Americans who grew up in church who've just kind of lost their way and. So I, I love to see how the Lord is using our church to bring people back, to sort of bring them back, sometimes in recovery from a bad experience. But one of the things that it may or may not be for you, but the, the centrality of, of, of what we do is we believe the Bible. So for some of you, I know for me, that was like, what? You mean everything's true and, and, and it's not just you know, a, a book about religion among many? So I want to encourage those of you who are kind of new to this to at least listen and, and go, okay, maybe let me not have a preconceived judgment. So Christianity has sometimes been described as one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Um, I think that's a good analogy in some ways. It's, it's kind of like this. Jesus offers so much freely. And the Bible uses metaphors. It says, Ho, everyone that's thirsty, come, and 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 freely eat and drink. The Bible says the free gift of God is eternal life. Now, um, if we had a sign out front that said free stuff, right? People would probably want to come in and go, I wonder what they have, free stuff. The interesting thing, though, is that the, the free riches that Jesus offers, it all depends on your value system. So what one man would consider junk, another man might consider treasure. So for some people, the riches that Christ offers are just, quote, pie in the sky. What, what's that have to do? What are you talking about now? I'd rather have stuff in this world. And Jesus, he was in on that. He goes, look, you got to make a choice. But remember this, what good is it if you get the whole world, but you lose your soul? So when you become a Christian, you come as a, as a bankrupt beggar, just realizing that Jesus is my only hope. But when you become a Christian, you realize that it's far more than Jesus just forgiving your sins. Now, I thought about an analogy. If you found gold, you know, you were at a park and you realize, hey, there's a gold mine here, right? Most of the time when people find treasure, they don't share it. They don't go, hey, everybody, come here. There's free gold. You know, remember the gold rush? People were trying to out that's my territory. But if you became convinced that this gold resource was there, it was infinite. There was more than enough for everybody. You probably would start saying, hey, you want, you, sh- you should come get this. You should come get this. I say all that to say the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians are often referred to as the wealth of the believer. It's God's way of saying, in Christ, we have uns- un- unfathomable riches. The Bible keeps using this word, riches in Christ. We're going to see that today. Now, later, it will say, because of these riches, we do have responsibilities, So, as we've been looking through the first three chapters, we found that the riches we have in Christ are these spiritual blessings, forgiveness, sealed by the Spirit. We know what the future is. We have a great inheritance. God is our Father. We have been adopted into His family. We have a purpose for living. We we then saw in chapter 2 that we were dead in our sins. We were deserving of God's wrath, so we should be headed for hell, but in His uns. Uh, undescribable love and mercy and riches. He made us alive. He brought us to Christ. He raised us and seated us with Christ. And now He has good works for us to do. But last week, Paul was dealing with the issue of Jews and Gentiles. Because remember, in the Old Testament, the, the, the nation of Israel had a great priority they were the people of God. So, what we learned last week is that God has established this new multi ethnic family it's a family that he loves and a new temple where he lives and that was rocking the jews boat wait a minute we're the family that he loves and this is the temple where he lives and god's going no not not anymore not anymore so as we come into chapter 3 paul's going to introduce the idea that this church god's new program of gentile inclusion is costly to him he's going to say you know what because of this i'm suffering but i'll tell you where i got this from and i'll tell you why you should be encouraged so we're going to begin in chapter 3 and verse 1 where paul says for this reason which is what i just taught you god has a forever family and god has a new temple where he lives for this reason i paul the prisoner of christ jesus for the sake of you gentiles now the implication here he's going." I'm in prison on account of you. Now, we always feel bad when someone else suffers for us. It reminds me of a joke I, I tell the kids. I'll go, what do one strawberry say to the other? If you weren't so fresh, we wouldn't be in this jam. I tell the kids. You can tell the kids. Now, what Paul's saying to the Gentiles is, listen, right now I'm suffering. So this is the first point. I'm suffering because of this message of Gentile inclusion. I'm in prison, he says, on account of you Gentiles. And they're like, what are you talking about? Well, if if you were to go back and read the book of Acts, you remember what happened was, the reason that the Jews were beating Paul up is they said, look, he brought a Gentile into the temple, which he didn't. But even when he tried to defend himself in the book of Acts, he says, It says he stood up and he began to say, look, here's what I did. But it says as soon as he mentioned that God sent him to the Gentiles, the Gentiles just went into a riot. And so they had to grab Paul and put him in prison, right, and hide him. And so he sat there for two years. He couldn't get out. And so he went to Rome where he sat in prison for two more years. All because of this message of Gentile inclusion. So it was very costly for Paul. But the second thing I want you to see here is that Paul explains his authority for teaching this. In other words, why not just abandon this, Paul? Just tell people Jesus loves you, Jesus died for you, you could be saved. But if you get saved, you need to be under the law, you need to get circumcised, just just join the Jews. And Paul goes, no, I can't abandon this. This is what God taught me. And the interesting thing is we learn here that sometimes standing for the truth and speaking the truth can be costly but it's really important that we understand, where did you get this from, okay? Anytime somebody makes a statement that's, that's radical, you go, wait a minute, hang on, where'd you get that from? In fact, that's what they said to Jesus. By what authority are you, who makes you, what? You say you're the only way to God? Who gave you that authority? What makes you think I have to listen to you? And so, what Paul wants to explain here is listen, this idea of Jews and Gentiles being one, I got this authority directly from God. Okay? So, let's look in verse 2. He says, I'm in prison for you Gentiles. And in verses 2 through 6, he's going to explain his authority for teaching this. How come, Paul, you're, you're teaching Gentile inclusion? He says, If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you." Now, when he speaks of a stewardship here, and as you're learning and growing in the Bible, a steward was somebody who was responsible for someone else's possessions, and you distribute them. So on a ship, the steward doesn't own the cruise ship, but he distributes the food. Paul looked at himself as a steward of revelation. God, for lack of a better illustration, downloaded information to Paul. Now, you're a steward of that. You gotta pass it on to others. So he says, if you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, for you Gentiles, what do you mean? By revelation, there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. Now, we don't know what he means by I wrote before. It might be earlier in the book, or he might have wrote them an earlier letter. And he says, by referring to this, you can understand my insight Into the mystery of Christ now this word mystery Paul's gonna use three times in this section now again as you're growing as a Christian the Bible says grow in grace and the knowledge of Christ okay for some of you this is brand new you're like what the heck so the word mystery in the New Testament is not the same as the way we use the word mystery like I'm reading a great mystery or, or did you go to that murder mystery dinner the word mystery is is a word that was used of something that was hidden and secret but was now revealed okay so there are things that the old testament did not teach it wasn't taught then it was hidden when god revealed truth about himself he didn't give it all at once in genesis 1:1, it doesn't say in the beginning god who, by the way, is one God who exists in three equal persons, same in nature, distinct in their roles, created the heaven and the earth. The idea of the Trinity was progressively revealed. So Paul would use the word mystery to describe things that they didn't, they, you couldn't get that from just reading the Old Testament. Here's an example. The Old Testament predicted that at the end of the, the ages, God would return and dead people would rise again. Okay? The resurrection was not a mystery. But what was a mystery was, well, what if you were a believer and you were still alive when God came back and established His kingdom? Would you just enter into His kingdom with this same corruptible sinful body? So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We're not all going to sleep. In other words, we won't all be dead, but we will all be changed in a twinkling of an eye. In other words, at the return of the Lord, Those of us who are still alive will be transformed into an imperishable body. So that idea is used here. So let me explain what I mean by this. The Old Testament prophesied that Gentiles would get saved. That wasn't a mystery. They knew that Gentiles would get saved. But it seemed to imply that Gentiles getting saved would be sort of a subordination. That they would come with their tails between their legs up to Jerusalem and go... Could we please come in here? And that the Jews would sort of be, well, we're the people of God, but we'll see if we can find a place for you. So the idea of, of, of Gentile salvation was not a mystery. What was a mystery was that Gentiles would have complete equal privileges. Tom Schreiner says that, that there's no inferiority, absolute equality. So so think about it. The Jews are like, we're God's people. We got God's temple. (laughs) We might allow some of you Gentiles in, but keep it on the lowdown and sit in the back like like Cinderella, the wicked stepdaughter. And God's going, no, no, no. It's going to be a brand new thing. Jews and Gentiles are going to have absolute equal privileges, a new covenant, a new temple. You're going to be the forever family. So that's the mystery that Paul says, they didn't know this in the Old Testament, okay? God revealed it to the apostles. So notice how he says this. He says in verse 5, In other generations it was not made known, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles, now here it is, are fellow heirs, totally equal, fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. There's no caste system, there's no... You know, you come in under the Jews. Now, remember, this is what was costing Paul. This is what the Jews were all saying about Paul. He preaches against Moses. He preaches against the temple. And he's inviting Gentiles in. And Paul goes, yeah, those things are all true. I'm telling people you don't have to be under the Mosaic Law. I'm telling people there's a new temple. It's God's people. And I'm telling people that Gentiles are equally welcome into God's family. And in addition to that, he's telling them it's a new creation. It's a new union in Christ. So what do you think about this? Christians have always wrestled with this question. When did the church begin? You're like, duh. Well, it's not really a duh. There's two major views, and some of you may have never thought about this. Many people believe that the church began with Adam, or whoever the first saved person was, right? that there's just one people of God and you always just call them the church, right? Until the last saint. But there are other Christians who go, no, 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 that, there were saints in the Old Testament, but they're not the church. The church didn't begin till Jesus came, died and rose again and sent his spirit at Pentecost. After all, Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. He didn't say, I'm keeping on building my church. So, Christians have debated, and, and, there's, and there's some tension here, and I can understand that. Like, what's the relationship to the people of God in the Old Testament and the people of God in the New Testament? Well, there's two views. Some would say, well, this new group is called the church. Now, depending on how far you go with that, as Bob mentioned, Dallas Theological Seminary, those who come from what's called a dispensational background believe that the people of God, the Old Testament saints and Israel, will be separate from the New Testament church permanently. Even in eternity, the church will be in a new Jerusalem, and the Jewish and Old Testament saints will be on the new heavens and the new earth. I personally can't see that. I see one people of God. But it certainly seems that however you you look at it, in the Old Testament there was a people of God But the Israelites had the privileged priority and the temple and the law. When when Jesus died and the veil was torn and God began to reveal this to Paul, that there's going to be equal Gentile inclusion, certainly there's some aspect that the church is new. Does that make sense? There's a newness to the church here that the Jews and Gentiles are equal. So you're like... Okay, Paul, why are you telling the Gentiles this? You're just putting them on a guilt trip? Hey, by the way, I'm in prison because of you Gentiles. What are you talking about? Because God graciously showed me that there's this new revelation. And it was made known to me that Jews and Gentiles are equal. So, the third thing he's going to say here is... Now, I don't consider this a burden. I don't go, why me? Why do I have to go telling this news? Everyone beats me up. Instead he's going to tell us now that he considers it an awesome privilege to proclaim this message of Christ. And it's purposeful, okay? Paul's suffering for teaching Gentile inclusion. Here's where he got that message. And now third, he says, I consider it a privilege and it's very purposeful that I get to tell people this, right? There's certain things, right? When you have information that either we all want to tell them, right? Or nobody wants to tell them, right? Give an example. You're the first one to find out the gender of one of your future nieces, nephews, grandkids, right? You want to be the first one to tell. But if a tree fell on dad's car... I ain't telling them, you tell them. Nobody wants to tell. So on the one hand, Paul realizes that telling people this is going to cost him pain. And and by the way, just make a note of this. If you want to be a Christian and avoid suffering, forget it. You can't. The Bible says all who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. If the number one thing to you is what people think about you, and that's your greatest concern and your fear is what if people don't like me? You're not ready to become a Christian. Because Jesus said, "Blessed are you when you are persecuted on account of my name." There's no such thing as going, "Well, I just I just witness by my life and I just be nice and then nobody bothers me." That's not what it means to be a Christian. Paul said, "If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ." So don't, don't offer the gospel like that. Hey, here's free hell insurance. I've had people say to me, can I get saved and not tell anyone and not change my life? And I go, no. You don't get saved by changing your life or not telling or telling anybody, but what does it mean to be a Christian? I, I, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. So look what Paul's going to say here. He's going to say, hey, this is a privilege for me to talk about this, but I do it with a purpose. Now you talk about going out into the deep end of Scripture. This is not... Um, waiting for babes in Christ. Look what he says here. He says in verse seven, of which this gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse six, of which gospel that he just mentioned, I was made a minister. Now, by the way, don't think of a minister some special thing. I'm a minister. In other words, like some preachers go, Hey, uh, I'm paid to be good. <laughs> You're good for nothing. Wait, what? No. There's no such thing like minister in a sense of like, oh, I'm clergy above all of you peons. But what he means here is I was made a servant. I was entrusted with this message. But look how he sees it as a privilege. According to the gift of God's grace. This is the second time he mentioned God's grace. Did you notice it? All the way up in verse 2 when he said it's a stewardship of God's grace. He goes, it was a gift of God's grace given to me Like, he picked me. He did it according to the working of his power. Why did it take working of his power? Because he goes, I used to kill Christians. It took just a little bit of power to go wham and change me around so that I don't kill them anymore. Now I'm making Christians and and willing to die for Christians. But then look what he says. He says, to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given. This is a very interesting phrase because Paul takes an adjective least but he turns it into an adverb in in, in the original language so literally it's kind of like this leaster I'm the leaster of I'm the very very leaster now what does he mean by that the very name Paul the Greek the Greek name Paul means little and it and it's probable from history that Paul was actually little okay now remember, his original name, Saul, a kingly royal name, but we don't know how it got changed or if this was just another, you know, his, his Greek or Roman name, but we do know that Paul thought of himself as very little, okay? Now on the one hand, there's such a thing as false humility where you're like, oh shoot, I can't sing, I'm just a knucklehead, and then you get up and you go, oh, and everybody's crying, you're like, you didn't believe that when you go, oh shoot, I can't sing. So it almost sounds like false humility. How can Paul say, I'm the very littlest, the leaster of all the And and saints here, remember, every Christian's a saint. It doesn't mean you're a great person, it means you're forgiven. How could he look at himself this way? Well, number one, because he goes, I used to blaspheme Christ. I used to kill Christians. There are some, some puzzling verses in the Bible. Did you know that Moses wrote this in the Bible? Now Moses was the most humble person in the earth. And I go, the moment he wrote that, we should have struck it from the record. Not anymore. But this is divine revelation from God. And this is how Paul viewed himself. as so undeserving to be able to not only be saved by God's grace, but to share it with others. But notice that his, he considered it a privilege, but he had purposes to it. Okay? His first purpose, he said, was to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Well, that's kind of cool to think about. Suppose you knew where there was an unlimited store of diamonds, right? That would, free diamonds, right? Not the kind where people are helping themselves by bashing in jewelry stores, but free diamonds, and they're unlimited. I think that would be cool to go around and go, hey man, you want some free diamonds? Right? I'm not saying three diamonds, okay? That's my wife and I just talked about this the other. Day. That's a canning industry. I thought it was tuna, but she said no, it's canning. Three times. So, Paul goes, I get to tell. And to me, I'm like, I get to stand up here not because I'm above you. I get to tell people, Jesus loves you. Jesus has so much to give to you. Jesus wants to make you rich and incredibly fulfilled and satisfied. He wants to forgive you and give you a new life. He wants to give you hope and meaning and power and purpose and a fresh start. That's fun, that's a blessing. But I understand that some people are just gonna be like, and other people are gonna be like. And I'm like, not my problem. Jesus described it this way. He goes, it's kind of like a person who, who buys pearls, but then he finds one pearl that's so precious. For joy, he sells all the other pearls. Because he wants that one pearl. Folks, Jesus is the pearl. And I hold him out to all of you. That he is what you need more than money, beauty, looks, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a job. Jesus is all you need, right? And it is a privilege for us to talk about Christ. And I can't understand how so many people are like, yeah, but if I do that, people won't like me. Well, get over it. They don't like Jesus. But they might if you tell them. So Paul goes, I have this privilege, number one, of telling people the unfathomable riches of Christ, which means it's more than just Jesus wants to be your friend. Jesus wants to dance with you. Jesus wants to carry you when you're on the beach. He's like, Jesus has unfathomable riches for you. And each week we're learning more of these treasures we have in Christ. But secondly, he goes, I have another thing to do. I also have to not only offer to Gentiles the riches of Christ, I have to enlighten everybody I have to enlighten them about God's new creation in Christ. Look at verse 9. He goes, not only do I preach, I also bring to light what is the administration or the plan of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God. Now here's where I think he's throwing us a curveball. He goes, who created all things. Why did he add that? He goes, I get to tell about Jesus and this mystery plan of God which has been hidden. The God who created all things. Because I think he's referring here to this. In the Old Testament, we learn that God created the heavens and the earth. But in the gospel, we find out that God, the same one who created all things, is also creating a new family, the church. He's creating new people. When you become a Christian, how would you like this? Maybe you're like, I like myself just the way I am. Well, you're not probably a good candidate to become a Christian if you love yourself too much. Because when you become a Christian, you become a new creation. So, so what Paul is saying here is, my privilege is to offer Gentile riches to enlighten everybody. You might not have known this, but God's got a new creation. But, ready for this? He says, and my third one is to take the angels to school. You go, what? I like to play basketball. Some of you know this. And I'm always, if you play basketball, you have to understand trash talking, right? I mean, trash talking is just fun, you know. Get a dumpster out and start talking trash. So, I'll tell young people, I say, you better bring your notebook, cause I'm fixing to school you, right? So, and then I'll get a beat down and be like, oh man, get back here. <laughs> when I then I'll just go. But 30 years ago, I could just, just just go back in your wheelchair. So anyway, Paul says I get to take angels to school. I want you to think about this: that angels don't know everything, and angels are watching the things that are going on on earth, and so are the devil and demons. And they don't have it all figured out. In fact, Peter said when the gospel is preached, the angels long to look into these things. They don't fully understand it. In fact, I want to suggest that angels are probably a little disturbed at humans. I'll give you one reason. Because God said to pray that his will will be done on earth like it's done in heaven. You know how it's done in heaven by angels? Immediately, completely, gladly, and absolutely. You know how it's done by humans? Not so much. And he's probably looking down and, aren't they your people praying that your will will be done and they don't even obey you? And he goes, I know, but, but they're growing, they're, they're learning to, right? So Paul goes, I take angels to school. He goes, because as I'm proclaiming this message, in, in order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places? What? Remember that song? And like a rose trampled on the ground, you took the fall and thought of me above all. I go, you know what? I'm not so sure that's true. When Jesus died on the cross, I don't think he thought of me above all. He thought of me. He thought of you. If you're one of his elect for the joy set before him, he thought of you, but not above all. He thought first of glorifying God, And there were many things that he thought of, including the fact that this gospel was going to teach angels. Now, I'm not sure which angels he's referring to here. Good angels, bad angels, maybe both. But the angels, get your notebooks out. You didn't see this one coming, did you? If you want to read more about this, go to Romans 11, 33 through 36, where Paul says, God shut up (coughs) the Gentiles that he might have or the Jews, so they might have mercy on the Gentiles. But in having mercy on the Gentiles, that would make the Jews jealous so that they would loop around and want to get saved. And he goes, oh, the depths of the wisdom and mercy of God. Who would have known his unfathomable wisdom? From him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory. And so we get to join in and go, God, praise your name, you're so great. But now Paul winds it down and he goes, now let me get back to my point. He said God's carrying out his eternal purpose, it's always in Christ, but now he comes to an application. If you have a New American Standard Bible, you might notice that after verse one, there's a dash. He goes, I'm in prison for you Gentiles. And then it just kind of stops. And he goes off to say, yeah, well, let me explain what I mean by that. Now he comes back to his original point. He goes, even though I'm in prison there's two things that he wants us to close with. Number one, as you learn about this whole blessing of being a Christian and Gentile inclusion, number one, it should lead to greater confidence in your prayers. And number two, it should lead to encouragement in your pain. Okay? All of us struggle with this. Do my prayers matter? And I, I don't like pain. And God's gone, I know that. And life involves pain and problems. And suffering and you're like yeah well, it's COVID, right? but it's bigger than that especially for Christians Christians suffer more because not only do we have the natural suffering that everyone goes through but we have the world of flesh and the devil and spiritual conflict that can lead to great discouragement as we struggle with our sin as we struggle to go the world says if you don't like your marriages go get a new one right that's not what the, the Bible says the Bible doesn't say if you're unhappy just do whatever you need to to get happy So sometimes God puts us in places where I'm like, I don't like the way things are going, and God wants to encourage us in our pain. So look how this closes. He goes, verse 12, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in Him. Brothers and sisters, lift up your chin and look up to heaven. And no matter what's going on in the government or in your health or in the pandemic or your job, our God... Is for us not against us our God is not silent he hasn't taken a break he welcomes and invites you to come boldly to him believing confident you're like but I don't feel worthy that's the point you aren't so stop worrying about feeling worthy it's Jesus who's worthy and Jesus says come on in through me D.L. Moody once was preaching a meeting and the tent was so full, no more people could get in, but he saw a teenager as he was going in. Actually, it was a little boy. A little boy, he said, you want to come in, son? He said, yeah. And remember back then they wore coattails? I'm going to preach in tails one of these days. What do you think? So he said, grab my coattails. And that little boy grabbed his coattails and followed him in and got to sit up on the platform while Moody preached, and he got saved, right? Well, here's a world full of sinners. See what's going on. And Jesus goes, you want to come to God? Grab my coattails. No one comes to God but through me. But now that you're a Christian, get in there. I don't get it. If you're not praying, I don't get it. What are you thinking? You have this wonderful privilege to come to God, believing Him, pouring out our hearts before Him, expecting great things from Him, attempting things for Him. Amen? Amen. But not only does he give us this confidence in prayer, but he also gives us encouragement in our pain. He says, therefore, I ask you, don't lose heart at my tribulations. In other words, Paul's gone, I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer because I'm in prison. He goes, don't, don't, don't be discouraged that I'm in prison. Quite the opposite. Be encouraged. This is a difficult phrase, but what in the world does he mean by that? For they are your glory. Like, hang on, Paul. If I came home, if I showed up in church next week and said, you know, somebody didn't like my sermon last week and they punched me in the face and my face is all bruised and I go, but don't feel bad. It was for your glory. You'd be like, has he gone mad? How could suffering on behalf of other people bring glory? Well, what does he mean by that? I'll tell you what he doesn't mean. He doesn't mean it's so people will praise you, you know. My wife, all pastors' wives keep them in line, right? My wife was talking to another pastor's wife. You know, if a pastor starts thinking too much of himself, um, a buddy of mine, his his name is Al. His wife used to sing to him, it's all about you, Al. It's all about you. Tammy's is better. Hers is, to Tom be the glory, great thing. And then I have to go, oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) I forgot, right? So don't act like you don't do it. You people do it, too. so Right, but here's the point. So, he doesn't mean that they're going to get praise for it, but somehow he's saying this is going to benefit you. And God has not only met those needs, but exceeded in a that lot true, of, that of our lives. That's so. true, that too. That too. Not only hears prayers, but answers them in exceeding. Not me. We got it, whatever that came from, yeah. But it was about God answering prayers, right? <laughs> All right. So, so remember this. That Paul says the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory to be revealed with us. There will be a day when we will be so full of joy we can't stand it. We will be so glad that we will forget that we were ever sad. We will forget that we were ever mad. We will forget that we were ever had. Because the Bible says there will be no more suffering, no more pain, no more sorrow. All of those things are passed away. So that should encourage us. Today as a Christian, it should strengthen me to go, You know, Jesus, I'm sorry. I I got some things I want to change. But I just thank you so much that that I am so rich, so blessed. You're always there for me. I can claim you by faith. I want to go out and tell others about this riches. And in the midst of my pain, somehow I understand that, that one day it's going to get so much better. So hang in there. Don't bail. Don't turn aside. Persevere till the end. Amen? Father, thank you for the gospel. And maybe there are some people here who are not yet Christians. I truly pray that they will begin to search, that you will give them no peace until they find Jesus as the answer. Thank you for our fellowship and our time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great day. You can read ahead for next week, Paul's prayer, the second prayer in chapter three.